Guys, help, can you hear me? I hear you in my headphones, but I don't see you, Torin. Where are you? I, I was just sitting at my computer, smashing random buttons on my keyboard, and somehow I got stuck on the internet. How do you know you're in the internet? Oh, oh God, there's a, there's a maze, and the walls are all just wireframes. Uh, the road is made out of ones and zeros. Uh, also, the lawnmower man is chasing me on a light cycle, and dubstep is playing all around me. Well, that's cyberspace. How do I get out of here? See if you can find a note to jump to causticgear.com. We control that site. Oh, okay. Uh, I see a bunch of giant doors with 8-bit keyholes. Let me just swim through this waterfall of algorithms. <sighs> Here we go. Causticgear.com. Oh, it says enter password. Oh, um, let me give that to you. Uh, I got it, Joe. I got it, Joe. God, that did it. The gate is opening. Oh, my goodness. Look at all this great stuff in here. I see the Pay What You Want, Lesser of Two Evils, Marathon MP3s. I see Caustic Soda t-shirts. Do you see the Axavon's graphic novel anthology, which was in part drawn by you and written by me? Oh, uh, oh, yeah, there it is. It's it's covered in grid looks. Focus, Torin. Look for a giant gate shaped like a USB port. Yes, there it is. Wait, I see a bunch of floating pixelated swords flying towards me. Oh, damn it, my antivirus software. Got to turn it off before it kills Torin. Uh, too late. The Vatican declares a pregnant woman a virgin. Again. I'm Joe Fulgham. When in Rome, trample babies to death with horses like the Romans do. I'm Torn Atkinson. You know you're an evil duo when you have a strangler on speed dial. I'm Kevin Leeson, and this is Caustic Soda! Time for another installment of our evil duos. Yep. It actually started out as an Evil Dames episode. I was convinced I was going to talk about Lucretia Borgia. Uh-huh. Uh, and then I found out that she was probably not so evil as uh, maybe people think. Mm. But mm. her father and her brother, more evil is than an, I potentially thought. So is it, wait, is this an evil trio in history? No, no, because the third party, although she is a party to right. many of the evil goings on, Lucretes. was probably not that evil. So it's just the duo okay. of okay. Rodrigo and Cesare Borgia. Or Cesare. I've been pronouncing it Cesar my whole life. Mm-hmm. But Joe is convinced that it's Cesare because some nerd uh, yeah. on a video game yeah. says so. I was pronouncing it Chester. Oh, <laughs> Chester the Molester. Uh, we'll get to that later. Okay. Mm-hmm. Of the Borgias? <laughs> of the Borgias. So Borgias. An evil duo's Borgia edition. I am Lucretia of Borgia. You will be assimilated. 
Uh, Resistance is futile. <laughs> the Borgia family became prominent in the 15th and 16th centuries, producing two popes, Pope Calixtus III. They produced the popes? Uh, the Borgia family, mm-hmm. yes. How does one produce a pope? Uh, you have sex, and they when two popes love each other very much, okay. uh, they have sex, create a baby who becomes the pope eventually because it gets elected okay. by bribing everybody. All right. Pope Calixtus III and Pope Alexander VI, the Borgia, as they were known in Spain where they came from, or Borgia emerged from Valencia in Spain. There were even numerous unsubstantiated claims that the family was of Jewish origin. I think that would make it very difficult for them to become popes. Myself. These underground rumors were propagated by political rivals, and the rumors have persisted in popular culture for centuries. That just increases the amount you have to bribe. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We're not Jewish. Uh, Here's this, a little extra. This doesn't feel Jewy enough, this <laughs> amount of gold and, and, and silver that you've given me. I didn't mean that in a Jews are yes, cheap did. fashion. Yes, I just meant that you were paying for more of a thing for totally people to did. forget about. He totally meant that. Rodrigo Borgia was appointed as Cardinal and Vice Chancellor of the Holy See by his uncle, Alfonso Borgia, or Pope Calixtus The Holy III. See? Basically the organization of the Vatican, kind of the business of the Vatican. How do you spell that? H-O-L-Y space S-E-E. Okay. As vice chancellor, Rodrigo- it's quite different from the holy smell. Oh, I see, I was... <laughs> and Which the is... holy taste. Uh, holy taste is yeah, a little wafery. Going, like holy ocean. As vice chancellor, Rodrigo amassed a great wealth and lived an openly promiscuous life. Pius II, who was the Pope after Calixtus and before Rodrigo, had to warn the young cardinal to refrain from his practice of participating in orgies. Pius told him it was unseemly. Stop Stop participating in, or- in orgies if you want to be Pope. It's unseemly. Yes. No, that was the message. Uh, although uh, the orgies evidently didn't stop him from becoming Pope. While a cardinal, Rodrigo maintained a long-term illicit relationship with Vanoza de Cantone, with whom he had four children, Giovanni, Cesare, Lucretia, and Joffrey. That's got to be a difficult decision. On the mm-hmm. one hand, you could basically become one of the most powerful men on the planet. Yep. I mean, you know, telling kings what to, and queens what to do. That's right. On the other hand, orgies. Yeah. How do you... That, 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 now, there's a lesser of two goodnesses yeah. to choose from. <laughs> well, Alexander didn't choose, kept having orgies, and uh, became the pope anyway. That, that's why he's evil. In 1492, he, both. he was elected Pope Alexander VI. Rodrigo literally bought his pontificate with bribes by paying off 17 of the 22 voting cardinals. Giovanni de Lorenzo de' Medici, who would later become Pope Leo X, is rumored to have sharply criticized the election and issued this warning. Okay. Now we are in the power of a wolf, the most rapacious, perhaps, that this world has ever seen. And if we do not flee, he will inevitably devour us all. Oh, shit. I guess he'd been to one of his orgies, I guess. So that's not what went down. That's a lot of devouring. Uh, as Alexander VI, Rodrigo was widely criticized during his reign for overspending, sale of church offices, lasciviousness, and nepotism. He appointed his eldest son, Giovanni, as captain general of the papal army and appointed his second son, Cesare, as a cardinal. I, I don't understand how you go from Cardinal Rodriguez. Rodrigo. Rodrigo. Yeah, Pardon Rodriguez me. is Mexican. Rodrigo is Spanish. How do you go from Rodrigo to Alexander? The popes all take a name. His uncle was Pope Calixtus. I mean, that's not even a real name. And the, the current pope took a new name. Yeah. Why? Because you're reborn, man. You're now like uh, God's voice on earth. And so you got to be the, a whole new person. You got to shed everything that happened before. Leave all the orgies. All and the, the orgies behind. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right. And, and, uh, and move forward as a man of God. 
And these people were, these popes were men of God. Well, one of them was you named know. Pius. Yeah, it's true. It's true. They should all be, it should have been like just like 77 Piuses, right? right. Pope Pius, the, you know, 47,000. And Pope, I love God a lot. <laughs> me, loves, me loves me God long me, time. Me lovey God. Yeah. The first pope to change his name did so in the 6th century because he was named after the Roman god Mercury, and he thought it inappropriate to carry that name as pope. He chose to be called John II after the first Saint John. Right. And after that, some popes changed their names and some did not. They tend to pick their favorite saints. At the age of seven, Alexander gave Cesare the title of prebend of the cathedral chapter of Valencia. Prebend? Then shortly thereafter, apostolic proto-notary, or otherwise known as the dignitary of the papal chancellery. Yeah. Both of these offices carried beneficences, which is a salary or stipend. By the age of nine, Cesare was also the rector of Gandia, provost of Albar and Jativa, Uh and the treasurer of Cartagena. Sure. I'm Uh, I'm all those things, too. What a big deal. Well, you weren't one at nine years old. Oh, that's true. Yeah, you had a lot of responsibilities at nine. I waited until I was 13. And they were all... So at nine years old, he was amassing his great wealth. This was the kind of thing that Rodrigo would do without hesitation that he was widely criticized for, which was making his nine-year-old son, like, giving him 17 jobs and saying, pay the boy. Right. And putting it in his bank account. So this is like Will Smith and his kid and putting him through all these movies and all that kind of crap. (laughs) Very similar. (laughs) Very similar. Uh, Cesare studied law and the humanities at the University of Perugia, then went to the University of Pisa to study theology. That's the leaning one, right? Yeah. So you kind of had to hold your books. Everything in Pisa leans. Yeah. You had to hold your books, uh, you know. On an angle. Or they, they just put a block of wood at the end of the desk so none of your studies slid off. The irony is the tower is the only thing that's standing straight up. It's the oh. land and everything else that's sideways. Precisely. Uh, as soon as he graduated from university, his father made him a cardinal. That's a small bird. Small Man. red bird. He was, he was really hoping for a car. Instead, cardinal. <laughs> oh, yeah. He asked. Oh, he asked for no, one Dad, thing. I said another. car, not uh-huh. cardinal. A red car. Uh, Lucrezia <laughs> was born in Subiaco, Italy, to Borgia, Ro- Rodrigo Borgia and his Roman mistress, Finoza Catane. As the Pope, Rodrigo took on a new mistress, Giulia Farnese. And as a child, Lucrezia lived in a lavish apartment with Farnese, whose husband was conveniently away from Rome for long stretches of time in the Pope's service. That is convenient. Mm. That a guy would come down and say, you know what? You are such a good guy. I'm going to send you around the world spreading the word of the Pope or doing whatever I need you to do in my popely duties. And then the second he's out the door, boning his wife. I don't know if that counts as evil, but it's definitely dickish. Rodrigo, as Pope Alexander VI, is famous for dividing up the new world between Spain and Portugal. The bulls, which is a papal proclamation, I didn't know that, mm-hmm. uh, issued exime devotionis inter catera and dudum sequedum. Isn't the basketball team in Rome called the papal bulls? <laughs> That's a sports joke from Torn. Oh my God, that was a good one too. Oh, not bad. Yeah, who's their star player? Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> I can't even think of any basketball players to riff on their names because oh, I don't like basketball. No, definitely Moses Malone is on that team. Moses Malone. There you go. <laughs> Moses Malone. Anyway, these bulls uh, granted rights with respect to the newly discovered lands in the Americas. Inter Catera demanded the requerimento to be read to American Indians. The, the what? Requerimiento gave the Indians the option to accept the authority of the Pope and Spanish crown or face being attacked and subjugated. But of course, the natives could not understand the colonizers' language, so it typically led to actions such as war, slavery, quote, Indian reductions, <laughs> conversions, <laughs> relocations, etc. You can be attacked and subjugated or uh-huh. 
you can sign this paper and then be attacked and subjugated. <laughs> no, I think I think I actually saw like an excerpt of the thing. It was very long and probably in like Latin. Yeah, but it, I saw a translation of it, and basically the last sentence was, "So, do you accept the King of Spain as your ruler?" Or do you not accept it, in which case we will unleash all of our fury on you? It's like one of those those uh, polls that are that are the questions are all designed right. so you don't really understand what the question That's is. That's right. And so you say you say your answer is always Do you yeah. not <laughs> yeah. want or not want this thing to or to <laughs> not, not happen? happen? And then you're like, Yeah. <laughs> Okay, perfect. Good. Uh, uh, good. We win. <laughs> Subjugation. What's the part where you don't reduce me? Back in uh, Italy in 1493, uh. after attending a family dinner with his mother and uh, Cesare, Rodrigo's oldest son, Giovanni Borgia, disappeared. He had left the dinner with Cesare and several servants. Giovanni reportedly took his leave and rode off toward the Papal Palace, never to be seen alive again. The following evening, while searching for Giovanni, a witness claimed to have seen two men throw a body into the Tiber River. The river was dragged, and the body was found still dressed in his finery and still in possession of a purse of 30 ducats. Ooh, so it wasn't a robbery. His throat had been slit, and his body was hacked with eight or more other vicious wounds. The murderer was never discovered, but the rumor spread that Cesare had killed his brother. The motive was supposed to have been Cesare's jealousy of his brother's secular success and his desire to acquire Giovanni's titles and honors for himself. The belief that Cesare was the murderer was argued by contemporary historians who were convinced that such a perfect murder could only be carried out by a genius of intrigue such mm, as Cesare. A genius oh. of intrigue. Uh, only know. a genius of intrigue could cut somebody's throat, stab him several times, and dump him in a river. Leaving their purse full of ducats. Durr. Contemporary historians, and I mean contemporary to us, That's so like 20th to 21st century, uh, argue that there was little to be gained by Cesare since Giovanni had a son who immediately became the third Duke of Gandia. It is important to note, however, that both of Giovanni's younger brothers, both Cesare and Joffrey, had ongoing affairs with Giovanni's wife. Oh, okay. <laughs> but, you know, and you'll we'll hear about this later as well. The Borgias didn't really seem to have a problem with boning anything that moved. Okay. okay. There was a lot of boning going on. They Sounds were boning like a... cousins. They yeah. were p- potentially boning sisters and brothers well, when and daughters. When your and... dad is having orgies and somebody says, dude, you got to cut back so you can become the most powerful man in the known world. And yeah. he goes, nah, <laughs> you know that your family loves fucking. They do. They do love fucking. Yeah. yeah. And I guess including your brother's wife was uh, was not uh, was not hands off. So whether or not that could actually be constituted as a motive for offing your brother to get access to his wife when you just bone everything. Yeah. I don't know. I, he probably high fived him when he did it. You know, like, <laughs> yeah, he's watching. Nonetheless, Giovanni's death cleared the way for Cesare to renounce his cardinalship and become a layman once again, and then being heaped on with a lot of the honors that he possessed that were bestowed upon him by their collective father. Hmm. He's putting so, the lay back in layman. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, like that. Well, you got something to say about that, don't you? Under Alexander Sixth rule, mm-hmm. the Borgias reportedly hosted numerous orgies in the Vatican Palace. Well, this is just kind of more of the same, isn't it? I mean, this this guy's an orgy guy. It's like that Seinfeld episode. He's like, I'm not an orgy guy. <laughs> I'd have to grow a mustache. And, and have a bearskin rug and disco lighting. I'm That's not an orgy guy. So, But uh, evidently, Rodrigo was an orgy guy and uh, really didn't have any problems with so, that. So, like, he's not all bad. Mm-hmm. Oh, there you right? go. Uh-huh. Why, like, why are we listing this as a terrible thing? Well. 
Although maybe I'm just gonna go on a limb here. Huh? Maybe not everybody in the orgy was all that thrilled about being oh, in an orgy. Okay, Uh-oh. consentless orgies. That's mm-hmm. bad. Mm-hmm. I agree. One such party is famously referred to as the Banquet of Chestnuts. Uh, was that just a nickname for boobies? The nuts of the chest? Yeah. Uh-huh. Or was there another reason? Johann Burchard, the papal master of ceremonies. <laughs> I want that title. Uh-huh. Kept a diary from which many of the stories regarding the Borgias had been drawn from. He reported that 50 courtesans were in attendance uh-huh. for the entertainment of the banquet guests. Not only was the Pope allegedly present, but also Lucrezia and Cesare. Uh-huh. Uh, of the event, Bourchard wrote, hey, uh, On the evening of the last day of October, 1501, uh, Cesare Borgia arranged a banquet in his chambers in the Vatican with 50 honest prostitutes, quote-unquote. <laughs> Wait, honest prostitutes? <laughs> yeah, called courtesans, <laughs> who danced after dinner with the attendants and others who were present, at first in their garments and then naked. <laughs> okay, all right. So it's just basically making it a rain. It's got to you make it a strip joint out of the Vatican. After dinner, the candelabra with the burning candles were taken from the tables uh-huh. and placed on the floor, uh-huh. and chestnuts were strewn around, which the naked courtesans picked up, creeping on hands and knees between the chandeliers. What a po- Wait, hold on a second. Okay. Are they, are they intimating that these ladies picked up chestnuts with parts of their body that didn't include fingers or toes? I think that's what they're suggesting. I can't think of what a chestnut might fit inside. Some hands-free picking up of chestnuts. While the Pope, Cesare, and Sister Lucretia looked on. Finally, prizes were announced for those who could perform perform the act, (laughs) quote-unquote, more often with the courtesans, such as tunics of silk, shoes, barrets, and other things. Well, those are the prizes, not the act. Yeah, 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 you're not just having sex with tunics. (laughs) So, hold on, okay, so... Uh, Rodrigo is having an orgy, yep. brings in 50 honest prostitutes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not the dishonest ones, Ooh. the honest yeah. ones. So you like that, yeah, don't I'm you? A, I'm a prostitute. No. I'm totally a prostitute. What are you talking no, no, about? Honest prostitute. Oh, you like that, don't you? No, I'm just here because I'm getting paid. <laughs> Those got to be the worst prostitutes. Well, they're honest. Uh, and then they ha- he has them picking up chestnuts, maybe with their hands, maybe not with their hands. And then everybody who's in attendance has sex with them. And the best sexers get prizes. While they're holding chestnuts in, or keeping them in places? Uh-huh. Ooh. Chestnutted for your pleasure. <laughs> William Manchester, in his book, A World Lit Only by Fire, embellished the story. Okay. He sounds like he has a made-up name, though. William Manchester. William Manchester. What yeah. are people from Manchester? What what's a Manchester accent? <clears throat> Just make him sound like, like he's got a man's chest, like a big barrel chest. Barrel-chested. A Manchester. Man, he's Manchester. <laughs> ah, I'm Manchester. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Okay. Servants kept score of each man's orgasms, for the Pope greatly admired virility and measured a man's machismo by his ejaculative capacity. (laughs) Oh, God, there's a volume element to the prize giving? After everyone was exhausted, His Holiness distributed prizes. (laughs) Is that what he calls it? (laughs) So... Did I, did I read between the lines there that there might be a volume a prize for... He likes his bukkake, for For quartage? Yeah. Depending on where that goes, it could be difficult to measure. <laughs> I guess that's true. Well, if you want to win the prize, you're going to have to you know, make sure that none yeah, of it goes unseen. Make it, make it visual, yeah. Uh-huh. First you weigh the, the woman 
or the man oh, without yeah. all oh, without all the semen on. <laughs> and then you weigh and them afterwards. And then afterwards. you weigh them afterwards. It's easy. You should have been the papal master of ceremonies. <laughs> that kind of genius. I concur. Vatican researcher, Right Reverend Monsignor Peter de Roo. Oh, good Lord. That's a long name. And possibly Peter, Peter, oh. of, Peter of the... Peter of Roo. Peter of he the kangaroo a, yes. from Winnie the Pooh. Anga oh, yeah. of Roo. <laughs> rejected the story of the 50 courtesans, writing, Hi, everybody. <laughs> the enormous letter to Silvio Savelli is also mentioned to prop the report of Bouchard's diary. This letter, however, states only that the courtesans were invited to eat at the palace and offered a most shocking sight. It notices no further particulars, nor the presence, presence of any of the Borgias. Okay, so... Who so, knows what's going on? So, so he's like, well, look, the only confirmation we've got is that they invited courtesans, the courtesans yeah. to eat. Who's inviting 50 prostitutes to dinner and then not having them do an orgy? A man of God, Kevin. Oh, the Pope. Right? Yeah, he okay. just, he you just know, invited converting. them to convert You know, them. Yeah. the Pope yeah. who had orgies and his friend said, stop having so many orgies. <laughs> and he went, nah. <laughs> that guy. <laughs> These guys aren't the Borgias. They should be called the Borgies. Borgies. <laughs> Come on to our Borgies. <laughs> oh, that's what they called them. Yep. Yeah. 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 Welcome to the Borgie. Uh, it, had a, it had a very special flavor. If you, uh, ha- if you have an orgy and you dress up as the Pope while doing it, you can call it a Borgie. Or uh, if you're in Star Trek having an orgy, it's a Borgie. You will be assimilated. <laughs> Asseminated. You will be inseminated. <laughs> Resistance is useless. Burchard also recounted a, another similar scene in which Alexander, Cesari, and Lucretia watched with amusement as 50 Roman harlots coupled with 50 palace servants competing for prizes for best performance, which were uh, awarded by Alexander. Alexander liked to watch, evidently. <laughs>
so before the age of 13, Lucrezia was engaged to two Spanish princes, reportedly losing her virginity to one of them at the age of 10 during a celebration of their engagement. That's going to taint you for life, probably. It's tainting me right now. Uh, after her father became pope, both those engagements were broken, and she was married to Giovanni Sforza at Sforza. the age of 13. Sure. It was a typical political marriage of the time to improve Alexander's influence and power. At the wedding banquet, a work by the ancient Roman playwright Plautus was performed, a comedy about libertines, mistresses, and pimps. It was considered a scandalous event. It's a libertine. Uh, back in the, those days, it was probably just referred to anybody that just had sex. Somebody and... loose in morals. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Only a few years into her first marriage, Alexander no longer considered the Sforza family a political necessity. Lucrezia was informed by her brother Cesare that Giovanni was to be murdered. Oh. It's like, yeah, we don't need those guys anymore, so we're going to kill them. Mm-hmm. Uh, she warned her husband, who immediately fled Rome. Smart move. Good move on his part. Uh, her husband. Giovanni Sforza. Okay. The one who's going to be murdered. The one who's right. about to be murdered. All right. Alexander asked Sforza to agree to a divorce, but he refused. Uh-oh. So Alexander had to have the marriage annulled. The Pope said, I know that I'm in charge of this great religion that absolutely forbids divorce, uh-huh. but you should get divorced from my daughter. Well, you could come up with all sorts of reasons, uh, you know, I... post facto rationalizations for this sort of thing. Sure. Which is exactly what he did with this annulment thing, because the only valid argument for the annulment that he had open to him was non-consummation of the marriage. Oh. Uh, of course, meaning that Giovanni. They didn't have any consummated. That's right. That's right. In a couple of years, he was incapable of uh, giving it to her in the sexual way. Uh, the only defense left to Giovanni was to prove his manhood by sleeping with Lucrezia while observed by members of the Borgia and Sforza families. That's fair. Can you get it up? <laughs> with, with all your uncles and aunts and whatever watching you. I can work with that. Really? Do you think I you, don't know. <laughs> like, this Probably is it, not. right? Like, okay, they're saying that you can't actually get uh, an erect penis in the presence of your wife. Prove so, it. Prove it. We're all going to show up and watch. <laughs> you know, there's a serious danger that you can't actually do it, right? The performance there's performance anxiety, anxiety exists. Right? That's real. Uh, Giovanni, who had a child from his first marriage... might have evidence that he was, in fact, competent, Uh, rejected the proposal. Well, also, the guy just wanted to kill you, but you ran away. And he's like, no, come back and fuck my daughter in front of me so that, uh, you know, I can kill you again. Alexander is a watcher. He does like to watch. We've learned this from the orgy thing, right? So maybe it was all just a a clever ruse to get him to It's win-win. Watch. Either he doesn't come back and he gets to annul him, or he comes back and he gets to watch a guy fuck his daughter. Mm. That's... Fun for him? Giovanni counterattacked, boasting of having had sex with Lucrezia at least a thousand times in the short marriage. How long, how long was the marriage? Between two and three years. Okay. So mm-hmm. once, a, once day a day for three years. He accused Alexander and Cesare of having incestuous designs on Lucrezia for themselves. Okay. Alexander offered his son-in-law his daughter's entire dowry to conclude the matter, and the head of the Sforza family threatened to withdraw his protection from his nephew if he refused the offer. Right. So he said, listen, just take all the money... And go away. And we'll call it even. We'll call it even. Uh, No one needs to get killed. We tried, but, you know, you ran. So (laughs) take a bunch of money and be happy with that. Be happy with not being dead. Come on. What's Giovanni got to complain about here? Uh, Left with no choice, Giovanni signed a confession of impotence and documents of annulment. Oh, during the, the impotence and the annulment. During the bargaining over the divorce, Lucrezia was placed in a nearby convent for safekeeping. Sure. In order to ne- conclude the negotiations, Lucrezia participated in a ceremony in which Vatican judges attested that she was intacta. Intacta. 
What do you think that means? I'm going to guess it means her hymen was intact, so that she's a virgin. That is true. She is a virgin. So yeah. we had a bunch of Vatican dudes examine her right. and say, she is a virgin. Oh, they would be the ones to know because... <laughs> Giovanni Sforza gave sworn testimony to this fact, and the divorce was pronounced final. The only problem was Lucrezia was six months pregnant during this procedure. Awkward. It's a miracle. <laughs> Jesus has returned to us. While she was in this convent, only three men had access to Lucrezia Borgia. Her brother, Cesare. Her father, Rodrigo. Alexander. Or Pope Alexander VI. And a, uh, a message boy named Perato. A message boy named Perato. So there are two schools of thought of how she came to be six months pregnant. Alexander and or Cesare indeed had incestuous designs of location, used her captivity as an opportunity to access her bedroom without any suspicions being raised. Well, sure, you're in a convent. Nothing, nothing untoward could happen there. It would hardly have been totally out of character. There are countless stories of members of the extended Borgia family sleeping with their relatives. Uh, supporting this theory are the facts that the child was born in secret and not officially recognized as a Borgia until three years later, referred to as the Infans Romanus, which means the child of Rome. Okay. Uh, at first, Alexander declared that the child was the offspring of Cesare and an unknown woman. This first papal bull was followed by a second one the next day, acknowledging that the child was the son of Alexander himself even though he would have been 67 years old at the time of the child's conception. Okay. Uh, the purpose of the papal bulls was to give Alexander the ability to name the child the heir to the Duke of Nepi. Nepi. However, this attempt to legitimize the Infans Romanus simply led to the assumption the boy was the child of Lucrezia and Alexander or of Lucrezia and Cesare. Wait, what? They said, oh, it's a child of a Borgia male, an unknown woman. You can't really have an unknown woman. It's sort yeah. of a dead giveaway when they birthed the child. It's impossible to be okay. unknown who the woman is, isn't it? Well, well, if it was three years later. Right, but uh, it has to come out of somebody. Somebody would have seen the child issued. Yeah. She was covered up Like, in time. order for uh, him to know that it's his, he needs to know what woman it came from. Yeah. Does he, though? Yes. <laughs> okay. right. uh, the historian Potagliotti suggested Lucrezia insisted on the two papal bulls because she didn't know which of her two lovers, her father or her brother, was the father of the child. I don't know what. Just write something down. Well, you know what? They didn't have Mori Povich back in those days. They could do that test. Right. You are the father. You are not the father. That would be. That's very difficult, though, because they're so related, right? So you could get a, it's one of you. The second theory on how she came to become six months pregnant, even though the Vatican declared her a virgin. Uh, uh, I bet you it has to do with the messenger boy. <laughs> and the far more widely accepted account is connected to the fact that uh, the only method of communication she had during her enforced day was messages delivered by young Chamberlain Parato. Was the sexy, sexy Parato. <laughs> the story goes that Cesare, once he discovered his sister's pregnancy, was so furious that he stabbed Parato multiple times with his sword uh -oh. as the young men knelt before the papal throne begging for mercy at Alexander's feet. Too late. <laughs> You're being chased through the Vatican by a maniac wielding a saber. Please don't stab me. You fall down at the Pope's feet. Don't let him don't stab, let him stab me. me. He starts stabbing him, and you do nothing to stop it. This you don't is, want to get in the way of that pointy sword. This is shifting from dickishness mm. to evilness. Parato survived the attack. Oh. The stabbing. How many times did he get stabbed? Uh, we don't know. Multiple. Multiple. Several. All right. Once he survived the attack, he was thrown into prison. Six days later, Parato's body was fished out of the River Tiber. Oh. Along with Lucrezia's chambermaid, who it was believed had facilitated the affair. Oh. Uh, their hands were bound. Can you imagine that fisherman's day? Oh, I got a big one. Oh, oh, Jesus. The? <laughs> the Burchard, the papal ma master of ceremonies, in his diary reported that Parato, quote, 
had fallen into the Tiber against his will. (laughs) (laughs) Seeing as how his hands were bound, Uh, kind of a giveaway. You don't usually tie your own hands behind your back uh, and then jump into the river. Clever trick. And then you take the chambermaid with you. That's what they want you to Uh believe. Maybe he said, Mom, watch me, watch me, watch me, Mom, watch (laughs) me, watch this. No hands, Mom. So that opened up the opportunity for Lucrezia to get married a second time because her can, first husband was now out of the way in the annul, uh, the annulment. I can tell you about that. Oh, yeah? Lucrezia's second marriage to wealthy young Prince Alfonso of Aragon. Oh, that totally sounds like a character from Lord of the Rings, doesn't it? The, the Alfon- it Alfonso sounds, of Aragon? It sounds more like somebody from Happy Days who can hit the jukebox and start it. This marriage allowed the Borgias to form an alliance with another powerful family. Uh-huh. However, this relationship did not last long either. Mm-hmm. Cesare wished to strengthen his relations with France and completely break with the kingdom of Naples. Okay. Well, how does that affect uh, Lucrezia's marriage? As Alfonso's father was the ruler of the kingdom of Naples, Lucrezia's young husband was in great danger. Oh. <laughs> Do not marry Lucrezia. Public well, service announcement. All right. Alfonso, crossing St. Peter's Square, was set upon by a group of armed men was stabbed repeatedly. Oh, more stabbing. Seriously wounded and left for dead. He was brought into the Vatican apartments to be attended by Lucrezia, who was genuinely distraught Hmm? and stayed by her husband's bedside, fully realizing that her brother, Cesare, was behind the attack. Okay. Under his wife's care, Alfonso began to recover. She's wow. good at the, making the stab Cesare wounds. Cesare and his boys Deal. are not very good with the stabbings. Well, I think she's just used to healing stab wounds. Yeah. Oh, have you seen a handful of them by now? Yeah. Don't worry, I got this. Well, you, I guess they just like to stab them like, in the fleshy parts when they should have gone for like the neck or the heart or the you know uh, the base of the spine. It was just, I guess just not enough basic knowledge of anatomy it's, back Maybe then. it's just some kind of uh, skill at stabbing, skill at healing stab wounds, uh, power race going on. They're oh. just He's getting better at stabbing. She's get be- getting better and better at healing. And they oh, both right. become like the top of their respective piles of skills. So what you're saying is Alfonso's Wolverine. He's the Renaissance Wolverine. He's, he is the best mm-hmm. at what he does. Uh-huh. As a result, he was visited by Cesare and one of his henchmen, Michelotto Corella. Okay. Which I believe is a gelato flavor. <laughs> <laughs> Very yummy. You lick at me. Tastes like lemons. A.K.A. Valentino's Executioner. And famous for being particularly adept at manual strangulation. Not this automatic strangulation we've been hearing so much about. (laughs) Does that just mean he's got big hands? Maybe. Maybe that's what it means. I mean, they're good. They're perfect for strangling. (laughs) One of the articles that I read in the uh, research for this episode was it called the Borgias Italy's first mafia family. Oh, Because they used, you know, murder and cajoling and, you know, extortion and whatnot to get their, their ends in. You know, having seen The Sopranos as many times as I have and loving that show, you hear these stories, you start to think, this is too far off the mark. Yeah. This is, they, they, all these stories kind of sound a little bit like Tony Soprano. <laughs> <laughs> That's your Tony Soprano? Yeah. All right. Cesare ordered Lucrezia, Alfonso's sister, and all the servants out of the room. Uh-huh. Bouchard wrote, Ah, since uh, Don Alfonso refused to die of his wounds, he was strangled in his bed. <laughs> he stabbed. By a bunch of strangers in St. Peter's Square, broad daylight. Nobody knows who did it. Uh-huh. But he doesn't die from the stab wounds. So a couple of days later... The strangler. <laughs> the, the, Cesare shows up with a man famous for strangulation. And Alfonso ends up strangled a couple of minutes after that. You don't have to be Sherlock Holmes <laughs> to put this one together. 
But if you were Sherlock Holmes, I guess there weren't any real police at this time. Like in in fourteen, the, the Pope police. Yeah, in fourteen ninety five or fourteen ninety eight, whenever this went down, in Italy, it's there weren't detectives. Like Columbo wasn't showing up. Although there might might have been a guy named Columbo. Uh, yeah, but I got just one more question. <laughs> yeah, he wasn't showing up at the Vatican. Go bother you. <laughs> I just, just want uh, things. What's bothering my mind? Yeah, the, the Michelado. You, you went to see Alfonso with Michelado, and uh, he's got. I can't help but notice he's got, got very big, big hands. hands. <laughs> <laughs> it's not just for eating hamburgers or a whole pizza. He's kind of famous, right? For one thing, he's got neck sweat all over him. <laughs> well, I tell you, if you want to break politically from the family of the Kingdom of Naples. Go about strangling their like, you know, nephews and sons probably helps with that regard. Yeah. yeah, you want to be friends with France, and you're like, well, France don't like the people of Naples. Start strangling some uh, Naples people. You know why? Because of the basketball rivalry. <laughs> the basketball rivalry. That's why they don't the like the each papal other. bulls. <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> Call back. So you would think that this, all this bad stuff going on, there would be some kind of uh, pushback against it, or maybe. Everybody would get in line. Like, oh, hey, they don't like us. Uh, if they don't like you, you get strangled or stabbed yeah. or, or, called, both. or called impotent. Early in the reign of Alexander VI, an influential Florentine friar, Girolamo Savonarola, launched, <laughs> wow. I know, launched a campaign against papal corruption. Oh, I was but, like, man, that guy is on a Savonarola. <laughs> oh, like he's, 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 having good, he's got a good run. Girolamo. Or possibly it's some uh, cola beverage. Enjoy Savonarola Cola. <laughs> <laughs> Savonarola claimed he had holy visions and campaigned to rid the city of Florence of its vice. At his insistence, new laws were passed against sodomy, adultery, public drunkenness, and other moral transgressions. Okay. Supporters of Savonarola patrolled the streets to curb immodest dress and behavior. How do you curb immodest dress and behavior? I think you beat you people a, up. You just put a blanket on them. Oh, yeah, yeah just, you carry ponchos? Yeah. yeah just... <laughs> Alexander was angered when Florence declined to join a holy league against the French and blamed it on Savonarola's influence. Uh-huh. Savonarola tried to make peace with Alexander by sending His Holiness, quote, a little book recounting his prophecies and describing some of his more dramatic visions. Oh, this the... is not going to go well. <laughs> <laughs> so hold on. So you're having a, a, like basically a flame war, yeah. uh, a, a Renaissance flame war with the Pope. Yeah. Over joining a holy league against the French. Right. And the guy goes, here's my book of prophecies that I've made. And visions. And just visions. to show you what an awesome dude I am. This will help convince you. <laughs> <laughs> it was called The Compendium of Revelations. Uh-huh. And it was one of his most popular writings. Oh, okay. Oh, it was so popular amongst Florentines anyway. Yeah. How'd Al- it go over with the Pope? Alexander reacted by banning him from further preaching. Right. <laughs> Not only did Savonarola continue to preach. So hold on a second. Ah. So he sends him the Book with yeah. all of his visions and uh, you know uh, prophecies. Uh, prophecies, and he goes, "All right, you're not allowed to talk in public anymore." I said, "Join me in this political alliance against the French," and you went, "Here's my prophecies and visions. <laughs> stop preaching." <laughs> yeah, you, you must stop talking now. Not only did Savonarola continue to preach, he hinted at performing miracles. Supporters of Alexander proposed to test that divine mission by walking through fire, and Savonarola felt he could not refuse. Oh. <laughs> yeah, so I think, awesome. I think we're right. We <laughs> so might be right. I have visions and prophecies, and uh, I can perform miracles. Prove it. Here's a bed of coals for you to walk on. Mm-hmm. The first trial by fire in Florence for in over 400 years was set. Yeah, <laughs> it's going to be good. Gee, I wonder why these hadn't happened in 400 years. Maybe everybody's like, this is fucking crazy. 
I'm not doing this. I'm not going to ask anybody to do this because then they'll ask me to do it, maybe. Forget this. A crowd filled the central square, eager to see if God would intervene, and if so, on which side. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Man, let, let the fire decide. You know what? We don't do this enough this day. You know, you start to have a debate with somebody. And you're like, let the fire decide. That's right. I think this. Let's would... take the flame wars from being uh, virtual, you know, yeah, uh, virtual yeah. on the internet, and yeah. make them literal. I think this might convince more people that uh, they should maybe rethink their belief in God. Well, because everybody, <laughs> nobody you, wins. The, why are you the, not the, testing this faith? The trial by fire. What if your God is Zolcha, the living flame? The nervous contestants and their delegations delayed the start of the contest for hours. A sudden rain drenched oh. the spectators and government officials canceled the... Oh, the trial by fire canceled on account of rain. <laughs> the crowd disbanded angrily. The burden of proof had been on Savonarola, and he was blamed for the fiasco. Oh, what? Uh-huh. A mob... Of, isn't, that a, isn't that what God would do, though? Yes, right. I'll do a trial by fire, but God will save me. <laughs> Rain. See? No, no. A trial by fire is you have to walk through the fire. Yeah, people are like, no, we want special effects. No, they, they probably took it that it meant that God wasn't on Savonarola's side oh. because they were he's quenching the fire so he couldn't prove his miraculous nature. A mob assaulted the convent of San Marco, and the hmm. authorities seized the opportunity to arrest and imprison the friars. Under torture, Savonarola <laughs> confessed to having invented his prophecies and visions, <laughs> then retracted. Yeah. Then confessed again. Uh, I want more torture. (laughs) Under the heavy influence of Alexander, three friars, including Savonarola, were led out into the main square where they were condemned as heretics and sentenced to die. Each on a separate gallows, they were hanged while fires were ignited below to consume their bodies. Okay. Right, right. To prevent devotees from searching for relics, their ashes were carted away and scattered in the Arno. (laughs) That is awesome. (laughs) The problem with people who you kill, like in the name of God, they can sometimes become martyrs, right? You're going to have to do that with me when I die. Oh, scatter your ashes Otherwise, on the Arno? Otherwise, people are going to, like, you know, come <laughs> searching for holy relics. You're like, oh, I got his fingernail. I'll pour your ashes down the toilet. You can heal leprosy with that. I'll, f- I'll flush your ashes. How about that? Sure. Yeah. I thought we were feeding you to animals. Isn't that what you wanted? Uh, do all those things. Okay, so cook. <laughs> First, cook, cook feed me the animals, then kill and burn the, the animals. animals then right. flush those ashes. Yeah. Flush those all right. ashes. Okay. okay. That's easy to accomplish. Deal. Chester the Sadist. <laughs> Bouchard wrote once about Cesare. Uh-huh. Uh, one day he went so far as to have the square of St. Peter enclosed by the palisade, in which he ordered some prisoners, men, women, and children, to be brought. Wait, children? Prisoners? Yeah. <laughs> what, what? What could a child... Sure. What could they a child... take up less space. You can put more <laughs> in a cell, right? <laughs> what could a child have done to warrant it become a prisoner of the Borgias? What do you think? Wasn't sexy enough. Oh, yeah. Didn't yeah. participate in an orgy. How about that? <laughs> Could, couldn't perform well enough in his, in his orgy competitions? Ah, yes, of course. That kid only came twice. <laughs> oh, Come on, God. you're nine. Oh, do God. better. <laughs> it went a little farther than I hoped it was going to go. <laughs> Welcome to Caustic Soda. <laughs> he then had him bound, hand and foot, and being armed and mounted a fiery charger. Uh-huh. A fiery charger. Now, by fiery charger, do they mean on fire? Commenced a horrible attack upon them. Okay. Uh, some he shot, not as he cut down with a sword, trampling them under his horse's feet. In less than half an hour, he wheeled around in a puddle of blood among the dead bodies of his victims, while his holiness and Madame Lucrezia from a balcony enjoyed the sight of that horrid scene. Ah. Uh. You bring in a bunch of prisoners who are probably sentenced to death for some minor crime or another, you know, pilfering an apple or mm, whatnot, right? Yeah. And then you decide... We can just hang them and burn them and spread their ashes on the Arno, or I can strap them all to each other and run over them with my horse and cut at them with my sword. 
I mean, I guess you get the same result. It's like making wine, basically. Oh, he's, oh, he's making people wine. Make, oh, the stamping at the yeah. end? Yeah. 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 Was yeah. he collecting the blood at the bottom? Yeah, so. all you need to do is ferment that stuff. That <laughs> works, right? Yeah, this uh, this shows... Uh, evil? I think this Some is, level of evil is happening evil. here. There's an yeah. evil. There's a level of evil going on here. Bouchard also wrote about another incident involving Chester. <laughs> the papal guards forced the ragged prisoners into St. Peter's Square... They were shackled at the wrists and gathered in a close knot near its geographical center. Uh-huh. As opposed to its moral center? <laughs> the guards! <laughs> definitely. definitely. Cesare didn't do anything with the moral center, yeah. it seems like. The guards formed a phalanx. Phalanx. <laughs> at the broad entry into the square, preventing escape. The prisoners looked up at the Vatican windows, where, on a small balcony at one of the larger windows, Pope Alexander V.I. stood with his daughter, Lucrezia... <laughs> Both were smiling. A few windows away, dressed completely in black velvet, was Chester. Well, what's not to smile about? You're not down there in the square with the prisoners. Beside him was a servant, also dressed all in black. Suddenly, one of the prisoners fell, shot, by oh. Chester. <laughs> the prisoners scurried through the square, aware, aware that someone in one of those windows was firing upon them. Oh, my God. <laughs> with each shot, the servant handed Cesare a new rifle, fully primed, and he fired again. Each shot was followed by a fresh rifle and another shot. Within a matter of minutes, all the prisoners were dead. This is like that scene out of Is It Dawn of the Dead? He was uh, just shooting zombies. I know for a fact that he chose the group of prisoners that included children for the stomping because they're lower to the ground, easier to stomp. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. Shooting, they present a smaller target. Right. So that's not the way to kill children. You don't want to kill children with a rifle. You want to kill children mm -hmm. with a horse. Uh, that's uh, the more you know. Public service announcement. <laughs> Public service announcement. Fine aim, my son, said the Pope. Four men pulling a cart began to remove the bodies, tossing them in like limp sacks of grain. Uh, Chester's harvest was taken away to be thrown into the Tiber. God, they loved throwing bodies in the river, didn't yeah. they? Well, I do not it, drink from that river. <laughs> I think that it probably, is filled with bodies and ashes. I think it's probably true. No, they threw the ashes in the Arno. Oh, sorry. Yeah, that's probably it's, near Florence. It's another river. Yeah, yeah, it's another river. Other stories regarding Cesare's proclivity for violence included: a drunken reveler had his tongue and hand cut off for mocking Cesare. How would you mock Cesare Borgia? Nice red gown. <laughs> nice syphilis mask, loser. <laughs> A Venetian who had written a pamphlet criticizing Cesare was sentenced to drowning in the Tiber. Oh, yet another one. Mm -hmm. A contemporary name. You know what would be the worst thing about being drowned in the Tiber? If that's how you die, like you're not, all these other ones were killed and they were disposed of in the Tiber. Mm -hmm. If you're being drowned in the Tiber, you like just sit there being held bodies? under just all these bodies floating Oh, by. you can't, I can't <laughs> hold them under the water. There's too many dead bodies <laughs> oh, yeah. in it already. You try and drown him. You, th you strap a rock to his ankles. You throw him in the tire. He just goes clunk. It like, yeah. stands on top. Yeah. He's like, oh, I'm walking on water. <laughs> Starts to make a run for it's it. It's a miracle. <laughs> Starts to like run to the other side. Yeah, I'm going to make it. A contemporary named Gregor Varius. He liked all sorts of different things. Yeah, that's the one I was waiting for. <laughs> reported that Cesare replying to pleas for mercy for his victims said, Rome is accustomed to write and speak, but I will teach such people to take care. <laughs> so dun, dun, shut the dun. hell up. Shut the hell up. It's like You can be, have free speech, but uh, I'm going to kill you if I don't like it. <laughs> Next time in part two. Are there any rooms in your house that you feel you could seal up for 300 years? For three? I, <laughs> Probably the kitchen. <laughs> Not much of a cooker, Tony? No. <laughs>
It's going to be the one shining beacon of cuteness in this whole episode of Evil. That's balanced. That's fair. That's, that's fair. Come on, Kevin. Fair and balanced. I get it. The Strangler. The Strangler. What did he do? Was did he punch him in the face? <laughs> did he stab him in the butt? Did he knee him in the balls? Transformers 3. Got me Got horny. Me horny. <laughs>